I have recently been pondering how many sermons I have heard in my life. I have been a born-again Christian about 40 years now, and although I haven't heard a sermon every week, there have been times when I have heard two in a week. I worked out that for 40 years, let's take off five years just to allow for times I have missed a sermon, and can you guess how many sermons I have heard? Ah, 1,820 approximately. You would think I wouldn't need to hear any more, wouldn't you? Well, I do, and so do we all. We hear the word on Sunday, get all geared up to be the perfect Christian, and by Tuesday we have got sidetracked. Maybe it is the cares and worries of life, or sickness, tiredness, boredom, or temptation. And by the end of the week, we've veered right off the path we were so sure we would follow on Sunday, after the sermon. So I make no excuse for giving this word, which may sound very like something you have heard before. However, I do believe it is the word God has for you, me and this church today. So the question is, what is your perspective in Luke, Jesus tells his disciples to store up treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We often see this line taken in isolation, and as such, it is a lovely, poetic, aspirational verse. It makes me feel, yes, that's how I want to live my life. I want treasure in heaven. But what does it mean in a practical sense? The passage follows the one where Jesus tells his disciples not to worry because you cannot add a single day to your life by worrying. He says, God will take care of everything. He says, don't worry about your life, your clothes or what you will eat. Your Father in heaven will provide for you in the same way as he cares for the birds, dresses the flowers, etc. I confess... I've always struggled with this passage, my mind veering off into thinking, I wonder how that sounds to the woman who cannot feed her children. It is clear that God doesn't provide the same things for every person. There is a personalised touch. These were intended to be words of encouragement and a call for faith, but should also be viewed in the light of perspective. Jesus says, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. In Luke 12 verse 32, we get the fuller version where Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little, frock, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This speaks of a life of sacrifice, putting God first and putting others before yourself. When we store up treasure in heaven, it is gained through love, obedience and sacrifice. So where does perspective come into this? 
This morning we are going to retravel the path of Moses, a story I feel sure most of us know very well. At some point after Joseph died, God blessed the Israelites and their numbers flourished. They had many children. Pharaoh felt threatened by the increasing number of Israelites and he gave a decree that every boy that was born should be thrown into the Nile and killed. Only the girls were allowed to live. Not a conventional form of birth control. But God had plans for Moses and his mother put him in a basket and placed him afloat in the Nile while his sister looked on. Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, as Moses' mother believed that she would. And his sister said, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Genius in my view. She said yes, and as a result, his mother nursed her son until he was old enough to be passed to Pharaoh's daughter and be raised as her son. Can you feel God's compassion at play in this story? The child was not lost to his mother. He gave her precious moments that she could hold dear throughout life. Now Pharaoh was using the Israelites as slaves to build his cities and do the jobs his people wouldn't do. It was a hard life. In Exodus we read that the Israelites were in Egypt 430 years although some scholars debate this length of time. And presumably, a large chunk of that time, they were slaves. As an adult, Moses went out one day and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he realised that some Hebrews knew of this, and he became afraid. When, Mos when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled and went to live in Midian, where he married and had a son. Then Pharaoh died, and we read that the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and God heard them. Did none of the Israelites cry out for God's help during those 400 years? I think they would have, but God's timing was not theirs. The people... Some, at least, must have cried out to God for deliverance and help in those generations. God heard their cries, but some generations would have lived and died before God put his plan into action. This got me thinking. Over the years, I have been in a number of churches that have been praying for revival. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see God do something amazing in our land and even the world to revive Christianity, save our nation and cause many to come to Christ? I have witnessed moves of the Holy Spirit and have experienced supernatural happenings, prophecies and words of knowledge and healings. It is a wonderful thing to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. When the Spirit moves, a con congregation will also encounter some who manifest unclean spirits. But it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just something that happens. So why do they end? 
Maybe people get so caught up in the experience they forget to keep praying for revival or for more of God. At other times, I have been part of a church that has prayed for revival and nothing has happened, so they gradually stopped praying for it. Why do we give up so easily? Surely, praying for revival in our churches and for our nation to be saved is something we should never give up on. I think people get tired or disappointed or distracted. Gradually, the focus changes. But here, in this passage, we see that God is listening. With the supernatural, we have to accept that it may not happen in our lifetime. Just like the Israelites in earlier generations who did not live to see God's deliverance. But does this matter? I think not. We should pray for the salvation of our nation until the day we are taken home, because God is listening. Back to Moses. We are told that Moses lived in the desert for 40 years until one day he had a supernatural experience of God. I find it interesting that his father-in-law was a priest. And yet it was Moses that God chose for his mission. Moses was taking the flock out when he saw a bush that was on fire. But even as the flames rose, the bush did not burn up. God called, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. God told him he was standing on holy ground and to take his shoes off. God declared who he was and Moses hid his face because he was afraid. When I read these passages, I sometimes imagine myself in that position. I would have been terrified. God told Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. He said he will save them, and he told Moses that he was sending him to Pharaoh to bring his people out of Egypt. Unsurprisingly, Moses was reluctant. Moses was not keen, to say the least, and said, But who am I to do this? He put up his arguments. He's not good at speaking. What if Pharaoh doesn't listen? God says, I will go with you. It sounds simple, doesn't it? God says go, and Moses must obey, with the Almighty by his side guiding him. It seems simple because we know the end of the story, but Moses didn't. Here we have a man who lacks confidence for the task. In fact, he feels inadequate because he isn't a confident speaker. However, God gives Moses some supernatural tools to aid him, like the staff that changes into a snake, the leprous hand, etc., and gives him assistance in Aaron. Sometimes we feel led to do something by God. In those moments, we can choose to allow our feelings of inadequacy to convince us that we heard wrong and don't proceed. Do we ask, God, will you go with me? The answer will definitely be yes. But then sometimes we step out and things get difficult. And what happens? We tell ourselves we've heard wrong and give up. Or you feel that God has forgotten you, or you are doing something wrong. 
Thankfully, there are some who find the strength to persevere. Let's see what happens when Moses approaches Pharaoh. They ask Pharaoh to release the Israelites to go and have a festival in the desert. Pharaoh refuses. He tells the slave drivers to no longer give the slaves straw to make bricks. He tells them to gather the straw themselves, but he still expects the same number of bricks. The Israelites were already working hard. This was a real burden for them. Hence, the plight of the Israelites got much worse. And this is a pattern we often see. If you step out in faith, things can suddenly get very difficult. But this is the time to persevere. We are told to be wise and not ignorant of the wiles of the devil. In fact, the fiercer the kickback, the more sure we can be that we are on the right track. Okay, back to Moses. Pharaoh was asked numerous times to let the people go, and we all know about the plagues. It is easy to list them quickly. The Nile turned to blood, the plague of frogs, then gnats, flies, plague on the locks, plague on the livestock, then the people and animals were covered in boils, followed by hail, a plague of locusts, darkness, and finally the plague on the firstborn. You can't say God didn't warn Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But each time Pharaoh's heart hardened. Plagues are no fun to live through. I have a friend who lived on a sheep farm in Australia and one year they had a plague of mice. She said the mice got into every cupboard so their food was wasted. They ran over the bed at night when she was sleeping and if she lifted a cover she would find mice under there and if you read the account of, in Exodus of the frogs that is pretty much how it is described. How awful. And imagine you turn on the tap and find your drinking water has turned to blood. The Egyptians relied on the Nile for their water and consequently were having to dig along the side of the Nile to find fresh water. These were seriously difficult times and yet Pharaoh still could not let go of his power over the Israelites. The structure of his world would collapse. We all know that after the death of his firstborn son, Pharaoh agreed for them to leave, but then changed his mind and pursued the Israelites. God performed a miracle and opened up a pathway in the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed. Then the water swelled over the Egyptians and they were swept away. He effectively drowned Pharaoh and his army. I found this quite shocking from the God of love. A few years ago I went to a Bible study class and we were looking at the Old Testament. And When we got to this chapter I asked how it was possible to drown a people he had created. The Old Testament can be brutal in places and I was struggling to get my head around all the killing. The leader was a bit flummoxed by my provocative question and suggested I ask the wrong questions. But that is not my experience. I think God is happy when we ask questions, whatever they are. It means that we are fully engaged with the word. Anyway, 
I said I know that God is good and therefore his motives had to be righteous. As I got into the car to go home, God said to me, yes, you are right, I am good. I accepted that as my answer and carried on. The next day I heard God speak again and this is what he said. I did not kill the Egyptians, I merely shortened their earthly lives. At that moment the penny dropped. He said, I did not kill the Egyptians, I merely shortened their earthly lives. What I've said isn't written in the Bible, so I will let the spirit within you testify as to whether this is true. God's perspective is not the same as ours. We focus on this life, but God's perspective is eternal. Yes, he cares about us and loves to have a relationship with us. He provides for us, answers our prayers and comforts us in this life. But this life is but a blink of the eye in the light of eternity. So the only question that really matters in this life is, do you know Jesus? Because this will determine where we spend eternity. God's whole plan throughout time is to help us to come to a place of knowing him and securing our salvation. The Pharaoh rejected the living God. He made his choice and his eternal life was determined. It didn't really matter when he died. I think that is the same for all of us. Yes, we grieve when someone we love dies because we miss them. But I think sometimes, if a person dies young, we also grieve for the life we think they should have had. We feel they were cheated. But actually, if we accept that God is in control and nothing happens but that God allows it, then God has numbered their days. The only significant question is, did they know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour? Their destiny is secured. I have often thought it strange that everyone feels sorry for Job, who lost everything, but I've never heard anyone comment on how sad it was that his children died. And yet in God's eternal perspective, they simply moved on into eternity. If we can grasp this, it changes our perspective on life and death. Another question I have pondered is why God allowed the Israelites to be established in Egypt in the first place. But everything in the tapestry that leads us through the many lives in the Old Testament is there for a reason. It teaches us. The story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt is one of great power and has been the basis of faith throughout history. Can you imagine the Bible without God's amazing demonstrations of power and the guidance given in that time in the desert? God has woven a history that shows the path to salvation. And of course, culminated in the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's perspective is eternal. He is not simply focused on our lives. 
he doesn't provide in the same way for everyone. We can see that when we look around us. Sometimes he heals a person. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we hear testimonies. We've heard some in the church recently of how God has made financial provision for people. But it doesn't happen like that for all of us because we are all different. God doesn't have favourites. He is weaving us into his plan of salvation, his eternal plan. The Queen had a strong faith by all accounts and it is lovely that because of her life that was so clearly a life of service, there is now much talk about her Christian beliefs. I love that she said she was looking forward to the day she would lay her crown at the feet of Jesus. What a fantastic image! If she had not been a good queen, that sentiment would be nullified and worthless. The way we live our lives matters. The witness we give others in our everyday lives matters more than we know. So let's come full circle back to the verse from Luke, which encourages us to store up treasure in heaven where it cannot be destroyed, for that is where our hearts will be. Jesus said, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. If we want the perspective or the, and the heart of God, we have to embrace this life in the light of eternity. If you look around the world today, there are wars, suffering, wildfires, floods, changing weather systems and a financial system that is groaning. Our bills are all going up and we could easily get caught up in a life of anxiety and worry, especially if you watch the news. These are the facts of life, but how we live within these difficult times will be a powerful witness to those around us. I don't know about you, but for me and my family's protection, I am going to cling to Father God as tightly as I can, because the more tightly we cling to him, the more certain we can be of his provision and protection and fulfilling our destiny in him. This might sound a bit mercenary, but actually, this is what God wants us to do. Well, I've talked a lot of words, added a lot of my own thoughts, which you may or may not agree with, and meandered through part of the life of Moses. But at the end of the day, what really matters is what God wants us to take home from the word today. So I will try to summarise in the best way I can. God has created a history that points to salvation. His perspective is eternal and his primary aim is salvation. He wants us to grasp this in some small way so that we can live our lives without fear, storing up treasures in heaven, making sacrifices for the good of others and being the best Christian witness we can be, to think about how we can serve others rather than what they can do for us to be a part of a church community that is united, maybe not in plans or process, but united in love, because then we see loyalty and love and support flourish and abound. He wants us to run our personal race of faith, 
until the finishing line. Regardless of what happens in the world around us, safe in the knowledge that our salvation, and therefore our place in eternity, is secure. When times are hard, he wants us to cleave to him, for he is our provision and protection. Look to him and not what we see in the world. Our Lord, want, our Lord wants us to pray for our land and any other that he places on your heart and to not give up, to pray ceaselessly until the day we pass from this life to the next. We may not see the fruit of what we pray, but know that God is listening and definitely hears. Prayers are never wasted. 2 Chronicles 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the care you have taken in creating a history that shows us your great strength and supernatural power. Thank you that you are our great provider and protector. Help us to understand your eternal perspective so that we can dwell in peace in a difficult world. And help us to take up this challenge of praying for our nation or nations where we were born to be saved. Give us our, guide us in our prayers. Give us that consuming desire to see revival in our churches, in communities, in our own lives. Cause us to rise up as a fearless people, standing up for what is right and holy. And give us the strength to stand against the temptations of this world. And show us how to be a blessing to those around us. Strengthen Hope Community Church and all its members and join us together in commitment and unity for the glory of your great name. And finally, Lord, I pray, send your reign. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.